How is it possible that it's already August? We hope you are enjoying your summer. Back by popular demand is our AirPods Pro giveaway. Members who successfully answer our bonus content quiz will be entered for a chance to win a pair of AirPods Pro. To participate, you must have access to the bonus sections of the podcasts, which you get by becoming a member. Members also receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of August, you'll receive 50% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code BONUSCONTENT, one word, at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code bonus content. Thank you for your support. Nine, twelve, ten, twenty-eight, two, twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast, a special podcast, a two-parter, in which we're going to begin with a conversation with my old Thursday partner on this podcast, Ryan Goodman of NYU Law School. Uh, and then we're going to have a conversation with uh, author and podcaster Wajahat Ali. But we're going to start with Ryan, and let me begin by welcoming you to the podcast, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing well, David. Thanks so much for having me back. Oh, well, no. I would have you here every week if I could persuade you to do it, but you've become so busy. Um, uh, and the stuff that you guys have been doing on all of the trials uh, of Donald Trump has been spectacular, the best source I can think think of, uh, and it immediately makes me want to ask you about all of them, but let's go one at a time. Um, this past week, um, you've uh, done a lot, written a lot, tweeted a lot, um, commented a lot on the flo- on the uh, Fulton County case, uh, and in particular on the move by Mark Meadows uh, to take the stand in his effort to get his case removed uh, to federal court. Uh, I think your analyses have been great, and I just wonder, as we have come to the end of this week, and uh, Mark Meadows is looking at his Labor Day, how do you think he's feeling about the holiday? <laughs> Um, I would not be feeling very good if I were him, and I maybe would not be feeling very good about my lawyers if I were him. Um, (laughs) uh, It's difficult to know whose choice it is. Like some people phrase it as his lawyer should never have allowed him (laughs) to take the stand, but know that's your client's choice at the end of the day. Uh, But my goodness gracious, he seems to have placed himself in significant legal jeopardy. Um, I do not think it's so significant whether or not this case ends up in a Georgia state court or a federal court in terms of the likelihood of conviction and and the rest. I do think it's very important in terms of whether or not it'll be televised. But other than that, I don't think that's so important. I do think it's very important that he is, in his own words, incriminated himself, 
uh, boxed himself in in terms of potential things he can say or his lawyers can say on his behalf in his defense and incriminated Donald Trump. So it's uh, really a remarkable thing. And I, I think we'll all be looking back as lawyers uh, to the choices that were made here because his lawyer is a very good attorney um, who has represented high profile clients. And um, so it's a, a real head scratcher. Yeah, his lawyer, what's his name? Terwilliger. He seems like the one that everybody says he's the best lawyer uh, for, for any of the people who are out there doing this. Um, right. All things are relative. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we've got some other lawyers. Several of the people in this case are lawyers. And uh, some of them have, uh, you know, apparently done their own work. Uh, uh, I saw, was it Sidney Powell had filed some kind of a brief this week and somebody said it read like a comic book? Um, yes. <laughs> um, uh, I, my impression and I'm not a lawyer, that's why I turn to you, but my impression at this point is that one or two weeks into this process, Fannie Willis looks like she has her act together. She looks like when she said she was ready, she meant it. Um, She has responded to uh, the challenges of, you know, speedy trial or the challenges of removal um, with thoughtful, strong briefs, in one case saying, yeah, okay, you want a speedy trial? Let's have everybody have a speedy trial. And uh, in the case of Meadows, her brief uh, arguing why he should not allow, you know, be allowed to remove it to federal court struck me as strong. Did it strike you as strong? Absolutely. It's very impressive. Um, and even to the point that I thought, uh, once again, like if I were in the shoes of some of these uh, co-conspirators, um, alleged co-conspirators, it would, I think, maybe put the fear of God into them in a certain sense of like, this is, as you describe it, a very impressive, highly prepared uh, DA and her team. So the briefs are excellent. And including, you know, let me put it this way, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the legal arguments with a team of other seasoned lawyers. The briefs have include arguments that have not in some ways been thought of by other lawyers. And then when you see them on the page, it's like, okay, that's a very strong, thoughtful way of putting it or framing the argument. And then as you say, right out of the gates, like when um, Meadows filed his brief for removal, she had a very strong brief in response. Right out of the gates, when Kenneth Cheeseborough said he wanted a speedy trial, just as you describe it, she said, okay, I'm ready to go earlier than that. <laughs> and I'm ready to go with all of the co-defendants. So I do think that that should give those individuals pause. And if any of them are considering flipping and cooperating, the first ones through the door are the ones who are more likely to get better terms of any kind of a plea agreement. I would think that this would encourage them to do that. Well, I wonder who those might be. We've got three um uh, uh, of the fake electors who have already said, "Hey, uh, you know this. This this was because the president asked us to do this," um, which is sort of edging towards flipping. And uh, you know, we've got other people like if if Meadows doesn't get granted immunity, he's he looks like he's up for a ton of trouble. Uh, we've got Rudy Giuliani who 
um, had a bad week legally uh, that presages, it seems to me, months and perhaps years of unhappy life um, because, you know, he's going to have a trial now in which probably millions of dollars are going to have to go from him to these people uh, who he defamed. Um, uh, do you think there are potential cooperators in this group of 19? So, um, I think it's difficult to think through all of the different variations, but I think there's some who are, um, such true believers and are going to go down with the ship. Um, so that might be like Sidney Powell and, uh, John Eastman. Um, then I think there's another group that might very well flip but they won't be um, so valuable uh, to prosecutors because they're so tainted and compromised. Like who's going to, what prosecutor would want to put Rudy Giuliani on the stand as their witness? While they're they're in the midst of saying, by the way, were you inebriated the whole time you were advising? (laughs) 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 You're inebriated now. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do think of folks like Giuliani, and I actually would probably at this point put Meadows in this category as well, in terms of heavily compromised. I think he's really ruined his credibility as a cooperating witness on the stand uh, with the Georgia case in part. But they might have a lot of other documentary evidence and the like. And I think Giuliani in particular, um, Andrew Weissman has made mention of this multiple times on Twitter and elsewhere there's something very curious about how Rudy Giuliani backed his way out of this civil case of defamation. And he did so right when it came to the point of him needing to provide more documentary materials and discovery. And one speculation is that that man is sitting on additional highly incriminating evidence, either against himself or others. That could be, but in any case, I think that he is probably in possession of information that could be useful, though his testimony itself wouldn't be. And then in the last category might be those individuals who, if they flip, they could be very valuable cooperators. So as you mentioned, David, the three um, false electors in Georgia, each of which, as you mentioned in their briefs to the federal court, have said, we acted at the direction of Donald Trump, which is not helpful to Donald Trump and is helpful to themselves. So it shows you how their incentives might be aligned. And the other one I would think of is Kenneth Cheeseborough. Um, I could imagine that he as an individual thinks that he has, um, in a certain sense, uh, acted appropriately, um, but it might in some ways for him have to be a psychological bridge that he has to cross where he recognizes his own wrongdoing and then cooperates because that's really in his best interest and is probably his family or other likes uh, best interest. Um, I, I, I could talk about this case for hours. Um, we don't have hours. Um, and there's so many cases and there's so many things that I would like to get to. You and I spent a long time <laughs> talking about the, the formative days of, of these crimes and thinking, when was this all going to happen? And, you know, since I've spoken to you last, it's all happened. You know, all these things are now, uh, in flow. Another prosecutor who so far has uh, seemed to distinguish themselves with being uh, prepared on it, uh, ready for what was going to be thrown their way, um, is Jack Smith. 
Um, and that has manifested itself in several ways. And we'll talk about the Mar-a-Lago case in a minute. But um, uh, in terms of the January 6th case and the election fraud case, uh, which is targeted, zeroed in on just one person, Donald Trump, which was a strategic um, decision, um, that case seems to be moving along. And we've had the hearing uh, and the decision this week by uh, the presiding judge, Judge Tutkin, that uh, uh, said that the trial will uh, start on uh, March 4th. Obviously, there could be a little slippage, but it seems likely that that trial estimated at four to six weeks, is going to happen before perhaps primary season is over, but certainly before the election. Do you agree with that um, assessment? And how is that case looking to you right now? Um, So I completely agree with the assessment. I think Jack Smith has done an incredible job, especially if one thinks about uh, the speed by which he's come in and been able to bring both of these cases, and I agree with your assessment that he has um, seemed to very deliberately um, indicted just Trump and not the other people that are un- uh, seemingly unindicted uh, co-conspirators to make this thing built to go at a pretty fast click, um, not compromising a defendant's uh, due process rights, but at a fast click. And by all appearances, the judge is also interested in a speedy trial for the public's interest based on our own statements and this decision of when to set the trial date. I think, indeed, here we are after this entire period of time thinking about these issues with an indictment of a former president and a trial that should take place in all likelihood before the next election. Um, And the case, do you think the case is strong enough? Super strong, uh, super super strong. I think any normal defendant would plead guilty. It's 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 crushing. It's crushing, and uh, Donald Trump's greatest probability of avoiding a conviction is winning the White House. Like that's that's the best play he has. He does not have a strong legal play, um, and. Uh, I, one of the issues is the false electors. I, I thought that before we had the false electors in Georgia fingering him uh, in their legal briefs, but the documentary evidence that they have for that is pretty fairly open and shut, and Donald Trump put his fingers all over it. So it's not like it's one in which we have to like trace and figure out, and he didn't really email or text. It is alleged, and they have evidence to show it, that he and Giuliani, um, it was at their direction that the false electors met and were operationalized. That's one piece of it. A second piece of it is there's, you know, just open and shut evidence, for example, in Georgia, uh, but it's it's a alleged and indicted in the federal case, which is Donald Trump and John Eastman knowingly submitted a false verification in Georgia courts based on information that Eastman in email exchanges said, oh, but we, the president knows that that information is no longer good, so we shouldn't sign it. And then the last line of that paragraph in the indictment is, and they signed it. <laughs> it's just, it's the kind of evidence that you would think a normal defendant, uh, if they didn't think that they had some other escape route, uh, like through winning the White House and a federal pardon or um, just shutting down the Justice Department investigation, that's 
what their legal team would probably advise them to do. Yeah. And by the way, I, I, I mean, I, you may not have this same sort of sense that I do, but I have this vague sense that Arizona and Michigan may follow, right? Yes. Yes. I, I'm, yeah, I totally have my eyes on Arizona um, because they are currently investigating the false electors. The big question I think for them is whether or not they go up the chain of command to Giuliani, Cheeseboro, et cetera. Another great thing about Fonnie Willis is that she showed them the roadmap of how to do this and the reception that she's uh, gotten for how strong her indictment is. And I think in many respects, it would strengthen the hand of um, Jack Smith, because now that these individuals, the other co-conspirators are in greater legal jeopardy in Georgia, for example, uh, they have every more incentive to enter a plea deal and get a global cooperation deal at the federal and state level. And Georgia, you know, who knows? Uh, The timeline might be shifted one way or the other, maybe gets put into federal court. It's just one you know, piece on the chessboard that could be taken off the chessboard one way or another. So the idea that if there's redundancy in the system with Arizona, absolutely. It is a little strange that uh, Michigan only um, indicted the false electors within their state. There's no legal basis for not going after the others. Um, they, Giuliani, Cheeseboro, Donald Trump, they committed their crimes and the conspiracy across the different states. And in fact, that is also finding Willis's indictment. It alleges time and again, this is a RICO conspiracy that was taking place across the different states. In some sense, she is, in fact, saying the crime is also being committed in Michigan and Arizona. So I think it's a more of a matter of um, policy or political choice or prosecutorial discretion uh, not to go forward with those kinds of indictments. And we'll see how they play out. And also, I should say, uh, Wisconsin as well. And I think Pennsylvania should be moving as well. Um, and if it's not at the state level, then do something like a district attorney, just like Fonnie Willis. Um, and Pennsylvania, my best guess is that they were reluctant to move forward because the false electors had a contingency statement in their certification that it was contingent on winning litigation. But what do the Georgia and Smith uh, federal indictments tell us? They tell us that Giuliani and Cheesebro purposefully misled the Pennsylvania electors to think that it would be contingent on litigation. That is their life. That is criminal liability. That's fraud on the part of Giuliani and Chesbro. Let's see it. That's not, so there's no, I don't see the legal justification for Pennsylvania authorities at the state and more local level, not moving forward. Uh, let's, uh, Turn to the other Jack Smith case, um, uh, and and that is the the Mar-a-Lago case. That one a couple of weeks ago got even more interesting when it turned out that um, uh, one of the uh, uh, named employees at the at the at the Trump uh, uh, estate um, changed his testimony when he got a new lawyer. Um, uh, now we're sort of in the midst, as I understand it, of a discussion about whether the others should have new lawyers, whether there's conflicts there. Um, and of course, all of this is being presided over by the most dubious of all the, um, the judges in this, Eileen Cannon. What, what do you see as the state of play in that um, case? And is it somewhat 
weakened or is her leverage somewhat diminished by the fact that this tsunami of other cases is going on? Um, so I think that uh, there's no part of me that trusts her administration of the case. Uh, I think she revealed extraordinary bias last year in rulings on this particular case in Mar-a-Lago and the classified documents that were beyond the bounds of law. And she was twice um, overruled by a unanimous conservative bench of the 11th Circuit uh, because her decisions were just outlandish. And it, and it's even just so remarkable to think back on that time. She was adjudicating a question that Trump had posed that he had a right to the return of the classified information, <laughs> return of his property. And he was calling that his, his property. It was just nuts. Um, so I, I'm very worried. She's already indicated other forms of bias in the, the most late, latest proceedings by kind of demanding that the Justice Department explain why it was using an out-of-district grand jury in D.C. to continue part of its investigation. But that's a very normal and routine matter for the Justice Department. That didn't work out so well for her, though, did it? Because it then... No, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for her. It's really embarrassing. Um, it, and it also looked like she may have even been following what Trump lawyers were saying on right-wing news channels. And then she picked it up sui sponte on her own. Accord. So I'm very concerned about that. I do think her leverage has been reduced by the avalanche of other criminal cases, Georgia and the federal um, election interference case in particular. I don't know how her incentives align in terms of does she think doing the best deal for Trump is to kick it eventually beyond the election? Um, and she has every ability to do that. And she wouldn't want to do it now because it'd be so um, obvious. She could, there's plenty of time for her to do that. Or does she love the limelight and she can run a trial in which she still squelches a, the effort at accountability, uh, but she does it in a way that she deserve, deserves, <laughs> receives <laughs> praise from a very far right wing segment of, let's say, the Federalist Society. And that's her audience. Her audience is not the general legal community. She's not looking for praise or respect from the general legal community, doesn't seem to me. So I think that one... Uh, deeply concerns me. Um, but the case seems quite strong. And so conceivably, yeah, Jack Smith has yeah. the ability to go over her head if he sees this pattern. Is that not true still? Both of those things are true. The case is super strong. And I think so strong that it very well might convince a jury that's more heavily prone towards um favoring Trump in Florida, in this particular part of Florida. Just because I've, you know, similar kinds of juries have convicted other people on Espionage Act cases like this one who were members of the military and the like. So I, I think that they have a super strong case. And then, yes, the Justice Department still has this arrow in their quiver where they could ask the Court of Appeals to reassign the case. And there were differences of opinion among the legal community as to whether or not the Justice Department should start out immediately with that position based on her rulings last year in the case um, as demonstrations of bias and need for recusal or reassignment or wait and wait until there were other rulings by her that they could say, look, while we are appealing this in our appeal, we want to include this request or uh, for a reassignment. Uh, and it, 
So they have they still have that latter option. So another case, as we go go through all of this, we probably won't even get to all of them, but that has been uh, 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 sort of in the news this week is that uh, the Proud Boys that led some of the attack, or 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 at least uh, you know sort of on the ground level led some of the attack, um, have been getting sentences. Uh, the sentences have been quite severe for the leaders of the Proud Boys, um, but substantially less severe than the Justice Department has sought. Um, uh, there are a couple more coming at the time that we're recording this, uh, including next week, uh, the, the leader of the group, Enrique Tario. Why do you think that they are coming up shorter than the Justice Department sought? And on the flip side, if you were Donald Trump or somebody else who was seen as higher up the chain of command, and all of these guys are getting 15, 17, 18 years in jail, would that make you nervous about the potential outcome for your leadership of the master plan? Um, so I'm not sure I understand why the judges have not imposed stiffer penalties more in accord with the Justice Department's recommendations. Um, and, you know, I don't know if that's bowing to certain kinds of political pressure or the information environment in which they're in, that they don't understand the gravity of the threat. Uh, the Justice Department has also recommended that they can, the judges can apply um, terrorism enhancements to sentencing, which would ratchet up time in prison. And that was just recently rejected by one of the most recent sentencing decisions this week. And um, as Andy McCabe, former acting director of the FBI, said yesterday, last night, he also doesn't understand it. He thinks it fits a hand in glove uh, with the terrorism enhancements, the um, crimes that they committed uh, in terms of the attack on the Capitol and the peaceful transfer of power. So I that worries me, and it worries me about, is it about like racial biases within our criminal justice system once again manifesting themselves and not understanding the white supremacist threat, the anti-government extremist threat, and the like. So I, I, that it worries me um, in that regard. And it, but at the same time, I suppose it also should be encouraging that the Justice Department does see it um, in more severe terms. Uh, in terms of the heaviness of these penalties, absolutely. I do also think that they are still very stiff um, in the sense of if somebody is also at the ripe old age of Donald Trump or the like, that that's like a life sentence. Um, and I could also imagine even thinking about back in Georgia, because it's an indicator of how these things will go in terms of if people are convicted, what they'll be sentenced to. There's a quasi minimum uh, punishment for the RICO charge of five years in jail. And that is not a, that is a ghastly jail, uh, a ghastly prison. I would imagine some of those individuals thinking about one year in that prison uh, would focus the mind. Uh, so I think absolutely uh, what you're saying. And the only reason I say quasi five-year minimum, if you look at the statute, it says five-year minimum. In Georgia, there is some judicial discretion that they could, in fact, the judges could impose uh, probation for any of the period of the imprisonment. But like you say, David, these sentences that are being handed down in the January 6th cases, I do think are indicators 
that that kind of discretion would not be exercised. The discretion that would be exercised is towards uh, punishment. So we only have a couple of minutes left here. Um, I could go on and on, and hopefully I'll be able to persuade you to come back. But uh, I'm, I, you know, I can't get to all the cases, and there are civil cases undergone. There's been progress in one of those, the Letitia James case in New York, where she's uh, seeking essentially to stipulate that Trump uh, misvalued a lot of his properties in an effort to defraud banks and insurance companies. Um, and there's the Gene Carroll case, which is coming along in which he's already had uh, decisions go against him, and it's likely to happen again. Uh, but let's let's finish uh, in the last two minutes with the Alvin Bragg case. And one of the things that strikes me about this case is, um, this is the New York uh, district attorney, uh, that when he brought the charges, it was the first, and everybody was like, well, this is not the biggest case, and he shouldn't have gone first. Um, in retrospect, who cares? Um, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go to the, sort of the end of the line. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody else has gone to jail for this case already, Michael Cohen, right? So, you know, it would be kind of grossly unfair if, if the main actor, Donald Trump, didn't go. Um, and it's not, you know, it, it may be slightly more complex case, but, you know, if it's tried at the end of all of this and Trump has been found guilty in three other cases and, you know, in all of these civil things, it's going to color how that case is perceived, I think, fairly dramatically. Um, do, do you, you know, I mean, do, 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 were you one of the ones that felt, oh, let's not lead off with this thing? How do you feel about it now? Um, so I was one of the ones who um, thought that it was, that he, uh, uh, that thinks very highly of Elvin Bragg's um, actions um, from the, from the get go. I've always thought that um, a couple thoughts were and are that he had no choice, but to go first in a certain sense. Um, one, there's a lot of foot dragging that went on in the justice department before Jack Smith. <laughs> And two, he was facing a statute of limitations problem. He had to go um, and proceed or not. So the, the window was about to close on him. So the idea of whether his timing was appropriate, it's, that's not exactly within his choice set. Um, and I thought, think he also got jammed up by um, prosecutors that, were, that he got in, that came into the office, one of which he wrote a book. Um, and I wrote a piece about it, Pomerantz versus Pomerantz, because Pomerantz's own book contradicted what Pomerantz said he, by his own acknowledgement, leaked about Elvin Bragg, which spread false information about Elvin Bragg's decision-making on this case. And you can compare the book to the resignation letter that Pomerantz leaked. I, so people's impression of Elvin Bragg that was created by this um, resignation letter and what Elvin Bragg was up to has unfortunately been um, polluted by somebody with ulterior motives and the like. Um, and yeah, I think Elvin Bragg has a case. I think of it the exact same terms that you do, David. He's a district attorney. He is handed a file. That file says one person went to jail for the, went to prison for this, and that individual one has not. And the very federal government documents for Michael Cohen specify the crime of false uh, business records. Um, yeah, so the so Elvin Bragg, the district attorney, inherits a file, and it's got all over it um, an indictable case 
what is he to do? If he does not indict the case, that's politics. If he does not indict the case, that is because the person's last name is Donald Trump. That's, it would be an abuse of his office to not indict the case. Um, so he has, and, you know, one of the other things we did at Just Security is we looked at all of the past um, publicly available indictments of false business records. Trump's is worse <laughs> than the ones on average. It's so what do you do as a prosecutor? And you definitely want to treat um, apples like apples and likes alike. And so I don't even think as a matter of applying the rule of law, Elvin Bragg had any other choice. And I also think just in terms of more recent practice by Elvin Bragg, he has been a statesperson in the sense of he has communicated that he is willing to move his date to accommodate the uh, uh, Justice Department's uh, prosecution of Trump as more important to the nation, that that takes place sooner. And that's, and I'm certain that Alvin Bragg believes in his case. <laughs> I have to assume that. Um, so it's not like he thinks, oh, my case is really weak and I want to move it. He is moving it. And as prosecutors are hardly ever do, because they all fight over their territory, that's what makes them great prosecutors. But this is a great statesman-like uh, position that I think is taken in the interest of the country. Yeah, well, I, I agree. And I, I just wanted to zero in on that because I think there was a lot of noise around it. And, and I think in retrospect, he's been proven to have handled things well. We shall see. Hopefully, I'll be able to persuade you back. Hopefully, it will not be such a long wait um, uh, and, uh, I'm pretty sure that when I do, it will not keep you from a three day weekend as I am doing right now. <laughs> um, but I want to say thanks, um, Ryan, I want to encourage everybody to go to just security, uh, which is this site that Ryan, uh, founded and co-edits, uh, some of the best writing by some of the best lawyers has been there from the very beginning. Um, and I, th I think it's just, you know, an, an absolutely essential uh, reference. This is the point in the podcast we're going to take a break, uh, and we're going to say to everybody who's in the general audience, uh, thanks for joining us, but we're heading into the members-only section. If you want to hear Wajahat and uh, uh, enjoy that part of the podcast, you got to go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership, uh, and, uh, and then you can join for $5 a month. You should do that we got a lot of new podcasts coming. We've got some very big announcements next week. We're growing rapidly, so your five bucks a month is just going to get you more and more. So for the general audience, uh, thanks. Hope you'll join us in the future, perhaps as a member. For the members, stand by. And for Ryan, thanks very much. <laughs>